Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So very, very excited, you know, about the guests that we have today. Also, for those of you that haven't seen it, you know, or, or that haven't heard about it, you know, my, my latest book came out, Selling Your Startup. Basically, the reason of this book was I got tired of, of just saying, not, not, not seeing anything out there to guide founders. And I experienced this myself going through the acquisition of my last company. You know, there was like not a lot of uh, information around, hey, how do you really package this thing? Uh, or what the exit, you know, is going to look like and how you reverse back engineer the process to where you are today so that you can take immediate steps to really get there. So I think that this book is not just for the people that are thinking about going through an M&A process, but then also for anyone that is in the journey of really building and scaling their company. So selling your startup, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere else that you want. So I want today to tell you all that I'm very excited about this guest that we have because he's been at it for quite a while with this company that he's been pushing. You know, definitely a rocket ship. Uh, it's going to be very interesting, you know, how we're going to be discussing here the different financing cycles that he has done and how things have changed over time because especially at a Series B, he really got a good grasp as to how you really raise money and how you get it done. Uh, so I think that without further ado, let's welcome our, our guest today, Isai Goats. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alejandro. I'm really excited to be here. So originally you were born in Monterey, California, and you kind of like uh, moved a little bit, you know, from Monterey to Cincinnati, from Cincinnati to New Jersey. So and, and also you grew up, you know, with your mom. So uh, so tell us about how, you know, the upbringing was for you and and how perhaps, you know, switching so much and new friends and new new places how how did that shape who you are today it definitely i think shaped a lot about who i am so you know my mom and i we were sort of like a team of two when i was 4 we moved to cincinnati and then lived with my grandparents for a while and then later to new jersey you know i mean i think the biggest thing there're probably two one is that you know my mom worked full time and so it meant that as a kid i spent a lot of time you know on my own after school and I think that gave me, you know, a lot of independence, you know, and it also allowed me to kind of explore things I was interested in. I really loved picking up stuff that like like old uh, gadgets and appliances that people were throwing throwing away and kind of like take them home and take them apart. And like that was all stuff I would do, um, you know, in the afternoons after school. And, you know, also my mom worked at a public library in the town where we lived. And 
you know, she'd take me there to, you know, to hang out while she was working. And they had an Apple II. And I had a program that would teach you how to program in basic. And so when I was 10, I started programming computers and, you know, it became something that, um, you know, totally defined my career. But I think, you know, those are two things that, that really came out of growing up with just my mom. And, and obviously, you know, being an entrepreneur too, it's all about dealing with uncertainty. So I'm sure that, you know, growing up with just your mom and, and not having your father on the picture, I'm sure that that, you know, perhaps has helped you to, to really, you know, deal as well with, with uncertain and unforeseen situations, which is, you know, essentially what you're doing today too with building and scaling a company from the ground up, no? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's certainly the case that uncertainty can be uh, really debilitating. It can actually be much harder than just having bad news. And I think, you know, maybe we've all seen that a little bit um, over the past year or so. But I think, you know, I really learned, you know, how to count on myself, just kind of having, I think, more space to kind of be on my own. And I think, you know, that also made me a lot more confident in kind of starting different projects over the years and ultimately uh, my company. So then let's talk about the, the programming. So you really got started there at 10. And obviously you were, you know, also doing some jobs, you know, here and there, you know, for places like, like, like what it would become Bell Labs. But, uh, but I'm sure that that gave you, you know, kind of like that ethic, you know, that work ethic that, you know, you would uh, definitely put into, into work later on. But this, this obviously perhaps, you know, gave you more of a validation of what you wanted to do. And that was the computer, you know, science and, and engineering, you know, um, I would say, I would say path. Uh, so, so in any case, you know, for you, I guess it was a very easy decision to say, okay, I'm just going to go at it and, and get my computer science degree. Is that right? Yeah. You know, it's funny, you know, when I, when I went into 10th grade, I think I was just turning 16. Um, I, uh, a, a friend of mine, his dad worked at Bell Labs, which was pretty close to where we lived. And he knew I, I liked to program and he asked if I wanted to work there for the summer. And it was really cool working in, you know, this huge office building and, you know, getting to work on these computers that were, you know, like Sun Sparks and like these HP computers you would never get to, to work with normally. And I really loved working there. You know, the other thing that was so interesting is that there was a guy who became my manager and he would pick me up from school uh, until I got a car every day after school. He would pick me up to work there. And it's so funny because at the time I thought that maybe I was doing him the favor by being such a great programmer. And then I thought about it later, realized he was the one doing me a favor. Um, then, you know, maybe he saw something in me and, um, you know, something I think about all the time, like even in kind of creating just works, like how, you know, how to kind of create opportunities for people. But it was like a really amazing opportunity to get to work in a big company, you know, as a teenager. And I'm sure that the, that, I mean, you also got into the National Guard, you know, pretty early on. I mean, you, you were there for about 12 years, you know, having, having that type of involvement. So, so what did you learn about discipline? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, certainly when we think about the military, I think structure and discipline are, are like the words that often come to mind. You know, I enlisted in the Guard right before I graduated from high school. And, you know, I think at some level, I thought that, being in the military would push me and maybe uh, help me grow up a little bit. And it was a tremendous experience. You know, I, um, you know, I went through officer training and became uh, a military intelligence officer when I was 22. And, you know, the military puts you in these, these leadership roles that I think are, are pretty infrequent in, in the private sector. And so, you know, at 22, 
I was in these platoon leader jobs where, you know, I was responsible for maybe 30 soldiers. And, you know, of course, they all knew that I didn't know what I was doing. And I also knew that I didn't know what I was doing. But, you know, starting to grow into those leadership roles, I think it was really cool. You know, and I learned a lot of things about, you know, how um, how you treat people, how you uh, really depend on the people that you work with in order to accomplish anything. And so, you, you like there's this this expression, mission first, people always that always resonated with me. And I think, you know, even, you know, in all of the jobs that I've had, you know, realizing that, you know, if the people aren't good to go, like you're just not going to get anything done has been a huge, uh, a huge lesson. And so I really, I don't know, I felt really lucky to get to, to serve. Um, but I also just learned a lot about leadership and, and people, I think. And in your case, I mean, Amazon obviously played a very important role in your career because you went to Amazon right after college and then also right after a business school, you also went to Amazon, but that led you very nicely into, into joining, you know, your friends that were, you know, up to building something. And that perhaps was your initiation into venture world. So how was that like? Yeah. So, you know, I started at Amazon in 2002. I would say the company was probably unrecognizable from what it is now. Um, I think at the time, there were about 1,500 employees in, in corporate, so to speak, and about 300 engineers at the company. And I was, I was an engineer there. Um, you know, I had an incredible manager who uh, really gave me space. Um, his name was Phil. And he, he just gave me space to learn um, you know, about programming and programming at scale and working on these systems that were at scale. You know, I worked there for about three years, all on these kind of like back-end transaction processing systems, which I, I loved. Like I was in heaven, you know, kind of working on these systems. And you know, you'd make like one little tweak and you would just see like how big the impact could be. Um, and then, you know, about three years in. I uh, I decided I wanted to be a product manager. And at the time at Amazon, in order to be a product manager, you had to have gone to business school. And so I applied to business school and got in and left Amazon. And, you know, I was there. And then, you know, my last semester, I was starting to look for a job after business school. And I was sitting at Starbucks with a friend of mine who still worked at Amazon. And this VP walked in and he said, hey, I remember you. Um, you're the one that brought the site down. I'd brought I'd brought Amazon down like, right when I started for about <laughs> ten minutes. That's amazing. That's amazing. You know, really, it's like a way to make an impression. Yeah. And uh, and so I ended up going back there and working uh, as a product manager. And I got to spend a lot of time with senior leaders there. I mean, I think it's safe to say that Amazon, like leaders at Amazon, think at least as critically as anyone else out there. And I think they make really uh, thoughtful and high quality decisions. And so, you know, the process of being there and, you know, writing these six pagers that people talk about, and then, you know, editing the thing for like two months until it was, was like perfectly clear, um, before, you know, bringing it to Jeff or to our SVP, Andy, I was like incredible. I mean, you know, and obviously Amazon has kind of gone on to be this tremendous company, but I think, you know, they really, they force you to think very clearly. And it was just like such a valuable skill set that I developed working there. So then, so then tell us about leaving Amazon and entering startup world. Yeah, it's pretty scary. Um, you know, I remember talking to uh, some folks in my family. They were like, are you sure you want to do that? I remember, you know, talking, I had to talk with basically everybody up the management chain at Amazon 
And they were like, are you sure you want to do that? And I just, I don't know, like, I just wanted to kind of bet on myself, I guess. And, uh, and it was really, it was really scary to have like a last day and then realize that, you know, my paycheck was over and, um, I was just sort of like out there, you know, off the career, career treadmill, but it was pretty cool. You know, I'd, I'd thought about leaving for a little while and I talked with two of my friends, Jason and Greg, and I had actually had an idea for a startup. I was going to convince my friend Greg to do. And Greg was like, no, 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 no. You should come work with us on the startup intuitive that we're building. And so I came and worked with them. And um, in particular, my friend Jason, who is the CEO, was really good at fundraising. And, you know, I thought I can probably learn a lot from Jason because I don't know the first thing about fundraising. And it seems incredibly intimidating at the time. You know, so we we raised uh, $1.3 million. We ran our company for, I guess, about a year. And then, you know, at the end of 2009, we were acquired by Etsy. But in the meantime, you know, I was the quote unquote business guy because, you know, all three of us were technical, but I also had this this MBA. And so, you know, this is actually where I got the idea for for JustWorks was that I was the one that set up uh, payroll with a big payroll company. And it was incredibly cumbersome. You know, I was using a fax machine all the time. And, and Jason and Greg gave me a really hard time about that. They're like, why are you on a fax machine? You, you know, it's 2008, right? You know, I ended up uh, just thinking like, wow, if you can make it easier, you know, for people to hire and pay people, like, I think people would probably go for it. Like, I definitely would have gone for it. Um, but it was also really cool, you know, working at a startup for the first time and being a co-founder and learning about how um like how an entire business worked because before that you know at Amazon you know which is this incredible experience well i was you know i was just like in the machine like i was a software developer but i didn't understand how the whole thing how you know finance and marketing and engineering and product management and every function you can imagine kind of plugged into like one whole business but you know even you know the the seven of us which is what we ultimately became it was like i just got to see how one whole business comes together which was was pretty cool. I mean, definitely building the pipes is different is different from learning how do you get the water to go faster. You know, that's the that's for sure. So so in this case, yeah. you know, obviously you were to you were able to explore how everything came together, how the rounds of financings, you know, really were done, and then also how an acquisition was done. I mean, perhaps having that visibility into the full cycle, you know, gave you the the opportunity to think, you know, now I know how this works. Now I know how it's done. And do you think that that maybe brought a little bit more, um, I would say, peace of mind to a certain degree or, or, or more confidence when, because in Etsy, once the acquisition happened, you were with them for like about three years. But, but essentially after that, you know, and you were alluding to it, that you got the idea for Just Works, you know, when you were working at, at, it, at, at Twitive. But, but do you think that full visibility into that full cycle really gave you that that confidence to really do it again. Yeah, I think that was a really big part of it. I mean, having seen Adtuitive, you know, more or less from incorporation to sale, I think like I like while I obviously hadn't seen everything, I mean far from it, I think seeing the whole cycle made me feel a lot more confident that I kind of knew what I was in for. And you know, I feel like, you know, when I was starting just works. I mean, you know, when you're starting something, you're making, I don't know, hundreds of decisions a day that you don't, you don't even realize they're decisions. You just choose to do something 
And, you know, you may not even think like, well, there's a bunch of different ways I could do it. But like, what are you going to do? You're going to follow the things that you saw before. And so for me, it was like, you know, having sat inside of Amazon and then having uh, gone through the cycle at Adtuitive and then sat inside of Etsy when they were actually growing quite quickly. You know, these were all kind of like examples of how things could be done. And so I felt like it was easier to kind of build the company with a bunch of examples kind of in my back pocket. But I think a lot of it is kind of, it's like subconscious. Like you don't even, you're just like, well, we'll do it this way. And, you know, you end up being able to go faster, I think like that. So then what was that day where you realized, you know, I have this idea on the back of my mind. I can, I, I can't, you know, forget about it. You know, I, I have to do this thing. What was that day like? Yeah. You know, I don't know if it was a day. Like, there were kind of a couple of things happening. I mean, one is that when Adtuitive was acquired by Etsy, you know, we had a three-year contract. And, you know, I was committed to to fulfilling the contract. But I didn't think I'd probably stay past the end of the contract. And it's kind of a weird thing to take a job and know that you have an end date kind of on your first day. Like, I've, I really kind of changed my mentality. I think I was willing to take a lot more risks, actually, at work, um, because I kind of knew that at some point I was leaving anyway. So I was like, let me do the most I can while I'm here. But, you know, Adtuitive at its peak was uh, six full-time employees and an intern. And I just, I wanted to build something bigger and more impactful. And I thought I'd learned a lot from Adtuitive, but I wanted a shot at that. And then the other thing is I had this, like, profound experience at Etsy where the CEO asked me to build uh, a payments product there. At the time, 96% of their payments went through PayPal and 4% went through paper check. And we thought that probably we needed to be able to accept credit cards and send the payments out to our sellers, which sounds really obvious, but is pretty complex to build and was very complex at the time. This is sort of before Stripe and things like that. And, you know, I ended up building this team uh, very creatively called the payments team. And we were we were about 10 people, super tight knit, really effective. Like we would set out our goals and be like, this is what we're going to do. And then we would go do them. And it was a really awesome experience. And I thought, you know what, if I could build a company that had a bunch of teams like that, I think the company could go on to do anything. But then the question was, what should it do? And I just kept coming back to, well, you know, I know about payments. And I know that there was this like super laborious process in my last startup. And I think there's like a product opportunity. And so it all, it kind of came together really over a period of time. Um, and I do remember thinking very vividly, like I'm about to get into something that I don't understand that well, um, but I'm going to give it a shot anyway. And, uh, and that's, yeah, I mean, that's how we, we started. So then for the people that are listening to get it, what ended up being the business model that we know of today of Just Works? Yeah. So, I mean, to explain what JustWorks is, it is a, a payroll benefits and HR platform for small businesses. And so, you know, basically the way that it works is that when a company works with us, let's say a company has 15 employees, their employees basically join the pool of all of the employees that work with JustWorks. So, you know, today we have about 120,000 employees on our platform, about 8,000 companies. And so, you know, a company joins. Uh, and they become part of this pool. And we can do a few pretty incredible things by bringing everybody together. Um, you know, one is that we can centralize their tax processing. And so we can file these sort of like very large returns rather than many, many small returns. And in addition, 
we can get them access to benefits that they typically wouldn't have access to if they were small. And even if they could sign up for them, the, the sort of costs and time involved are, are prohibitive for a small business. In addition, we help them with HR and we help them with compliance. So it's really, I mean, it's really a very powerful tool for, you know, startups and small but growing businesses to hire and pay people. And, and effectively, they can get an economy of scale uh, that they just wouldn't have if they were doing this stuff on their own. It's related to kind of payment processing where I'd, I'd seen that same aggregation model, you know, is used by PayPal and Stripe and Square and Airbnb and Etsy and all these companies on the merchant side. But there's a lot of power in bringing um, a lot of small, smaller customers together and then um, giving them access to an economy of scale. So that's, that's what we do. Nice. So, so how much capital have you guys raised to date? So we've raised $143 million in, uh, I guess, seven total rounds. So let's talk about the early rounds because the company almost went under. So what happened there? You know, like I mentioned before, you know, fundraising had always been intimidating, but, you know, I felt confident enough to get things going. You know, the first round that I raised, which was a million bucks, that actually was relatively straightforward. You know, I had met a lot of VCs um, working at Etsy and I'd met people who could be angel investors and they believed in me. And um, we're willing to fund the company, even though, you know, we were sort of at a very basic product and weren't really explaining, you know, the business model, I would say, hadn't really emerged yet. So that was great. And then, you know, a, about 10 months later, you know, we thought, all right, um, we're going to go raise a Series A. And uh, unbeknownst to me, you know, what investors really wanted to see at a Series A were the signs of an emerging business model. And, you know, so obvious to say it now, but I had really just focused on building a great product and having customers who loved it. That was that was all I cared about. And, you know, we did that. I think our customers were really happy and the product was even in its early days was pretty cool. But I didn't really think about the business model. I didn't think about things like customer acquisition and go to market. And so when we raised the Series A or we attempted to raise it, it was a it was a huge flop. Like basically these investors like get out of here. Like you don't even know what you're talking about. And, um, you know, that was pretty tough as you can imagine. And, you know, we sort of came back and, and regrouped and ultimately, um, raised a much smaller, uh, round, which I, I euphemistically call seed extension round, but it was really a bridge. And, uh, we raised another million and a half dollars. And, and at that point, I guess, uh, I had become crystal clear that understanding the business model and distribution was just as important as having a great product. And so, you know, really focused on um, hiring a sales leader and building a sales team and kind of like getting out there. So that by the time we raised our Series A, which was probably six months after that, you know, we could talk about all those things. So that was pretty tough. I mean, I definitely thought we were probably going to go out of business you know, before we'd managed to pull this, the second round together. But, you know, I think among other things, like it, uh, it reinforced for better or for worse, you know, like the sort of sheer will to survive, you know, like it was very much this kind of like live to fight another day kind of time for me and for the company. And I think ever since then, I have been relentlessly focused on making sure that we are always in a strong position, that we don't 
depend on uh, outside capital any more than we have to in order to survive, which is important both for us, but it's also important for our customers who totally rely on us to do um, some of the most important things for their business. And it seems that, you know, for you, it was all the way until the Series B, you know, until you got complete with the Series B to really understand, you know, how, how to really make it happen when it comes to fundraising. I mean, what, what, what were your, your, what was your big takeaway there that, 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 that you were like, okay, now I get it. Yeah. So the big thing is, you know, when you go out and you raise venture capital, this is probably applicable for all kinds of fundraising. You know, more or less, one of the questions you're going to get from investors is how much are you raising and or what do you think your valuation is? And, you know, I had sort of on a, a, a naive basis, let's say, gone out with the series A and B and said, oh, yeah, like we can raise a bunch of money. And I went out there with amounts that, were too much. And, you know, a lot of investors said, no way. So there was like nothing past the first conversation. And then even when those rounds ultimately closed, it was like, it was like a little bit bedraggled because, you know, it's like you start, you know, like with, I think our series B, maybe we thought we could raise 20 million and we ended up raising 13. Right. And that's like, that's like not the way you want to go. And so I kind of figured this out and um, and also sort of concluded that in the end, like you were probably going to, there, there's just like an equilibrium kind of like amount that you're going to raise regardless of what you say you're going to raise. And so you might as well go the other way. So with our series C, I remember, you know, making this slide where we said that we would raise uh, 20 to $25 million and, you know, seemed, which seems like probably less than we could. And I didn't talk about valuation. And whenever people asked about valuation, they just said, I don't know, we'll like let it work itself out. And then um, there was a huge amount of interest in the round because all of these different investors, you know, kind of did the back of the envelope math. And they were like, okay, well, it's probably a pretty reasonable valuation. And, um, you know, that's like a modest, like this is like a good investment opportunity. So you get all this, this like deal heat, right? That kind of comes around. And ultimately, we had an investor come in and invest 33, right? And like one way or the other, let's say we were probably going to end up at, at, you know, that range 30 to 35. But, you know, it's a lot better to get there from 20 to 25 than it is to get there from 40 to 50. And, you know, ever since then, I've just kind of, you know, believed that you probably want to start on like the modest ends of things, um, generate a lot of demands and interest so that people can really take the time to get to know you. And then in the end, you're going to end up with a market price like one way or the other. So um, that was like a huge, a huge takeaway. I mean, the other thing that I think is important, but I don't think could have happened sooner is, you know, every entrepreneur has like a different style. And for me, like, I'm not like, I don't, I would rather just talk about what we've done and what we're good at and like stick more to the facts, you know? And, um, you know, by the time we got to the Series C, we had a business that was like a really great business. And so it meant that I could pitch in like the way that was really natural to me, which was to say, well, this is what we do. And we'll talk a little bit about the future, but not that much. Whereas I think in the earlier rounds, you know, we didn't have that much of a business. And so it had to be about what the future was. And I think I think for me, at least, that just was less of a strength. And that's probably it's probably still true. Nice. So then, in terms of the um, of the size today, so that people listening, you know, get a get a good idea. I mean, how 
How big is JustWorks? Anything that you can share in terms maybe of number of employees or anything else? We have about 750 employees at the company right now. And uh, we are, you know, we more or less break even with with the size of our, our workforce, which is is fantastic. And you were alluding to it, you know, before on on talking about the future. So let's talk about the future. Let's say that you go to sleep tonight and you wake up five years later. You, you've never slept like this in your life, imagine. And you wake up in a world where the vision of Just Works is fully realized. What does that world look like? Yeah. So I think that there are a, f- a few sides of that. I mean, first, there's kind of like why, why we exist to begin with, like our purpose, and which I really think of as helping people to realize their potential. And a, I got at that a little bit, you know, with the story from Lucent. But, um, you know, and part of how we help people realize their potential is through running our business, helping entrepreneurs hire and pay people and build their teams and create and, and really kind of develop that way. You know, and then the other way that we help people realize their potential is here at JustWorks, our employees, those 750 people, you know, ideally, you know, we're giving them opportunities to learn and to grow and develop. And, you know, those are things that they'll take with them for the rest of their career. So I think that, you know, certainly continuing to do that is part of what I would certainly want to see in five years. And then I think the other thing that I'm very excited about is going from being um, a single product company, which is where we are right now, to a company with a bunch of different businesses that help entrepreneurs in different ways and help the people at those companies in different ways while staying true to our, our mission, which is to help entrepreneurs and their, and their teams grow with confidence. But I think. I think companies that endure are companies that have lots of different growth arcs. And so I think, you know, a big challenge right now for me and the team, and one that, you know, we spend a lot of time focusing on is kind of like, how do we create more growth arcs that go into the future? And it's really hard to say um, exactly what those are going to be. I just know that we have to have them if we want to be an enduring business. Um, I'm I'm pretty excited about that. So imagine... I put you into a time machine, Isaac, and I, and I bring you back in time. I bring you back, you know, to that point that you were still in Amazon, you know, bringing the site down for 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, perhaps you were thinking about like what, what you could do or what you could build or, you know, an entrepreneurial world where you would bring something to market. Imagine you had the opportunity of, you know, having a sit down with that younger self. And you're able to tell that younger Isaac or give that younger Isaac one piece of business advice before launching a company. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Well, so in terms of the one thing that I I wish I'd done more of, and I still have to remind myself sometimes, but it's really about listening to your gut. And, you know, I think I think people, and I would certainly put myself in this bucket, you know, you kind of underestimate like the importance of your instincts, right? It, especially if they're hard, if it's hard to explain to someone what your instincts are. And, you know, basically every time that I haven't followed my instincts, like I've either, you know, ignored it uh, or it's kind of been, you know, argued away, like I, I pretty much always regret it. And, you know, whether it's about, you know, hiring somebody or working with someone or making a certain decision. I think like you have this really special thing that's your intuition and it's formed by everything you've seen and done in your life. And I would just remind myself, I think, to make sure that I'm following it. Can you think about a time, 
uh, where you actually follow your instincts and, and it made a tremendous difference? We had something really recently come up where we issued a vaccine mandate for our, for our company. And we issued the vaccine mandate before most companies were doing that uh, by like a couple of days. And, you know, I'd really been thinking about it. And, you know, it's like a, it's like a moment where, you know, you're talking to everybody and it's like, obviously it's like the safe thing to do is to wait and see what everybody else does. And, you know, I, I thought about it and I couldn't, um, I couldn't like let it go. I couldn't let it go. I was like this, I think this has to be the thing that we do. And I think we have to lead in this way. We have to lead you know, on behalf of those 8,000 companies I was talking about that work with us. And so, um, you know, we went ahead and in very short order, you know, I, we put out a statement, um, you know, you know, with a vaccine policy for our employees and kind of like just how we were going to deal with it at JustWorks. I think all the arguments would be to the contrary. All the arguments would be to hang on, wait, see what happens. And I am so glad that uh, we put out the statement when we did. And I think our employees really appreciated seeing us lead. And I think uh, some other big companies, big tech companies came out a day or two later with more or less the same policy. And I think our employees are really proud that we were ahead of it. And that was just one of those things where that is like a true kind of like gut decision. But yeah, I mean, it happens all the time for sure. I love it. So Isaac, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Well, you could probably email me. Uh, it's I-O-A-T-E-S at JustWorks.com. Um, and of course, you could always check out our website, JustWorks.com. Amazing. Well, Isaac, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Awesome. Alejandro, thanks for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.